What's up, guys? It's David Wright with the New York Mets, and you're listening to the Talking 21 podcast with my man, Danny Torres. Hi, everybody. This is Eric Davis, a.k.a. Eric, Eric the Red. I'm Talking 21 with Danny Torres. Be there, be square. Much love. Hi, it's Bob Costas, and you're listening to the Talking 21 podcast with Danny Torres. Hey, this is Derek Shelton, manager of the Pittsburgh Pirates. Talking 21 with Danny Torres, retire number 21. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Talking 21 podcast. By now, I think our listeners and our viewers know who I am, and I thank you so much for supporting our show. Curtis Granison was a three time All Star, a Silver Slugger Award winner who played for seven teams. He made an indelible mark in my home state for playing for the New York Yankees and the New York Mets. But what immediately comes to mind when I think of this Chicago native are three things, and they begin with the letter C, character, charity, and Clemente. In 2016, he won the Roberto Clemente Award for exactly those words I used to describe the Grandy Man. Thanks to his beloved parents, he is truly a man of character and of charity. Baseball was that vehicle that provided an extraordinary opportunity for this 16-year veteran to help those in need, especially children. And he continues to follow that path and that journey to this very day. This episode, for my Talking 21 podcast listeners and viewers, I truly enjoy. So sit back, listen to my conversation with CJ, my friend, Curtis Grandison Jr. My man, Curtis Grandison. So first and foremost, thank you so very much for being on the Talking 21 podcast. How are you feeling today? I'm feeling great. You know, the sun is out. I'm in Chicago, which is home. And I can't complain. You know, it's not officially summer, but summer in Chicago is what we all look forward to. And today is as close to a Chicago summer day as you can take. So I'm excited. Well, I tell you, Curtis, it's a beautiful day here in New York City. I'm actually about in car about 15 minutes from the ballpark that you called home for four years that uh, the excitement for every Met fan, Curtis, I'm a Met fan too, that we love that 2015 World Series that you were in, along with our mutual friend, Mr. David Wright. But, you know, I was thinking, Curtis, and I was saying to myself, you're a junior. Are you called Junior at home? Does the family have a nickname for Curtis Grandison Jr.? So it's interesting. My mom and dad have never called me Curtis throughout my entire life. So the name they call me is CJ for Curtis Jr. And, you know, a lot of friends and family that I grew up with still call me that to this day. So when I was out on the field and people would say, well, how do I get your attention? You know, people say Grandy or Curtis or they would say my number. But if I heard CJ, I knew somebody knew me or was told by somebody that knew me. And that's how it always was. Like, even right now, you know, as a 42-year-old man, when I call my mom and dad, I'm like, hey, CJ's on the phone, CJ's on the phone. And that's always been the way it's been. Uh, now, has, has, any, has anybody in baseball called you CJ? Like, that they heard this story and or it was always simply Curtis? Marcus Timms, who, who's in the major leagues, he knows me as that, so he'll occasionally call me that. Uh, but in the pro ranks, not really. It kind of stopped after college because when I got to, I got drafted and I got to pro, they automatically give you a new nickname. And with Granderson being so long on the back of my, my jersey, 
you're identified a lot of times by your last name because that's what people see and they go, oh, that's Granderson right there. But that was just way too long. And then that's where Grandy started and players started calling me that. And then that's what it was. But that's the key with nicknames. A lot of people forget. You got to be given a nickname. You can't create a nickname for yourself. People got to give you that. So Grandy, Grandy Man, CJ, those are all been given to me. So I'll make sure uh, in our future correspondences, you'll be hearing from Danny Torres. You'll be hearing, yo, CJ, what's going on? So uh, listen, seven teams in Major League Baseball at one point or another you played for. Three-time All-Star Silver Slug Award and, of course, the 2016 Roberto Clemente Award. Now, I'm going to ask you, next year is your 20th anniversary when you made your Major League debut. For Curtis Grant and for CJ, what immediately comes to mind, meaning next year is your 20th anniversary? It's amazing to hear that sentence because I never thought I would play past two or three years of professional baseball when I got drafted. You, you serious? You really serious? That, you didn't think a, you were that good? That's 100% you know, wow. truth. I got drafted in 02, and then I thought literally I was going to put get about two to three years in the minor leagues, get released, and then go put my degree to work. And end up in doing, you know, whether it was sports marketing, sports management, teaching, education, something along those lines. And what's crazy at that two and a half, three year mark, that's when I made it up to the big leagues and got my debut in 2004. But literally, I thought I'd be done at that point. And what's even crazier, the year before in 03, I was ready to quit. I was, I was done. I was like, this is it for me. I'm playing in Lakeland, Florida, in the Florida State League, which I tell everybody is one of the hardest, most difficult, mentally draining leagues you can play in in baseball. It's hot. There's no fans. The fields are big. And I was like, I could be in Chicago enjoying this weather I just talked to you about. But I'm here in Lakeland. It's 90 degrees. It's 100% humidity. We have 90 fans in our stadium that holds about 7,000 fans. Why am I doing this? And wow. luckily, I got. I, I'm, I'm, I'm perplexed. Year. I'm perplexed nope. that you actually were saying this. That you literally did not think your career was going to end That's where good. it ended up. And you know, and Chris, that, you know, that year in the Florida State year, I had made the All Star team, so it wasn't that I wasn't playing good. So I was doing well, but I was like, you know what? Ah, this, 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 I don't know if this is it for me. If I got to do this, and just I just wasn't sure if I was there, you know, to be able to take it to that next level. So. I thought I was going to be done. And then the next year, I get called up to the big leagues. Wow. Well, talk about right now. If Curtis Granison, CJ, had to close his eyes that first day, major league debut with the Detroit Tigers. I, I was excited to get a chance to be there. We're in Detroit playing against the Minnesota Twins. Demi Throw me some names. Who are your teammates? Yeah, Throw so Demi Dimitri Young had just taken me underneath his wing as a teammate. And he had introduced me to players I was huge fans of. Uh, Tory Hunter, Jock Jones, um, Shannon Stewart with the, the twins. So, you know, players were interacting around the cage. So I was so excited to get a chance to meet them. And then I also had, you know, Nook Logan was a teammate of mine, Craig Monroe, Rondell White. And I'm just so excited to be there. And what's funny, everyone's like, oh, how, how great was it for your parents to be there? My parents actually weren't there because the way the schedule had worked out, we're in Detroit playing against Minnesota. We go on the road to play Cleveland, and then the next series, we're going to be in Chicago. So the way my parents are in true fashion, like, we'll just see you when you come to Chicago. And that's just how they've always been. And Dimitri Young always laughs about that. goes, man, I love your parents because if they have commitment, they stick to it and forget everything else. We'll see you when you come to Chicago. And even when we were in Chicago, 
that weekend we're playing Friday, Saturday, Sunday. They had already had a commitment that Saturday, and they didn't come see me play. And Demetrius like, your parents aren't here? I was like, no, nah, they got something to do. He goes, I love them. <laughs> They're great. <laughs> and then they came Sunday, which is where I got my major league hit, my first major league hit here in Chicago. Who was it against? Uh, that Kurt? was against your, your first uh, Freddie Garcia. So it's really, I got a chance to play with. You remember, you remember the pitch? You remember the pitch? I remember the setup and everything. So it's the ninth inning. We're down, I think, eight nothing. Um, Alan Trammell, the manager at the time, asked me to pinch hit. So I go to pinch hit and I hadn't played the whole series. I got about 65 tickets sitting behind home plate. We're losing this game. And all of a sudden, I think I get like a fastball. And I roll it over to second base, and Willie Harris is playing second base. He's running after it, and I see him look past it. Like, he could have made the play, but he kind of let it go, and I got my first major league hit. And then that 65 seats of of fans of mine just erupt. Now, mind you, again, we're losing 8-0 in Chicago, and everyone's looking around. Where's all this noise coming from? Those are all my fans that I had given tickets to. So it was cool to get my first hit there. And then kudos to the White Sox. They actually put it up on the scoreboard and said, Curtis Granderson, first major league hit. Most visiting, you know, most uh, opposing ballparks won't put up the visiting team. So it was really cool that they put that up there. That says a lot about an organization. So here it is. You played six years with the Detroit Tigers. And in 2009, you're traded to the Yankees. You spent four years as a Yankee and ends up, Four years after after the fact, you were signed with the New York Mets. So if I had to say to Curtis Grandison, most memorable moment wearing the pinstripes of the Bronx Bombers and wearing the orange of blue and flushing with the New York Mets, what immediately sticks out? New York Yankees, New York Mets. I would say for me with the Yankees, what was so cool, and I always tell everybody this, I was there for the big four to kind of wrap up their careers. That's Jeter, Pettit. Rivera and Posada and I got a chance to be their teammates so these are some of the best players that ever played this game we went to lunch together we worked out in the gym together we hit on the field together and we won games and we lost games together so that was just something that I'm always going to remember being in the pinstripes with those teams on the field out there competing trying to do what we can just to represent one of the most iconic organizations in all the sports not just baseball just all of sports. you know so it's really cool then i go to the mets and to be honest i didn't know much about the mets because the way interleague play had worked out with the with the tigers we had played the mets one time in comerica and then with the yankees you would play in the subway series but you're so focused on the al east that you don't even really think about what's going on with any team in the National League, let alone a team that's in your backyard, because you're only going to play them for that one series. Now you got to focus on the Red Sox and the Rays and the Orioles and the Jays. So I didn't really know much about them. So now I sign with them. And, oh, yeah, here's David Wright, an opponent of mine I had played in the Florida State League. Remember, the Florida State League, I hate it. David Wright was also in the Florida State League at that same time. Now him and I are teammates uh, getting a chance to play together. And soon, you know, from 2014, first year, and now 2015, we're in the World Series where nobody anticipated us to be. Like, that's always going to be something iconic. But yeah, so I think those are going to be two moments with both of those organizations, with the pinstripes, just getting a chance to have those four teammates as teammates and everyone else over there, you know, A-Rod and Cano and CeCe Sabathia, just to name a few. And then with the blue and orange, 
we went to the World Series. No one expected us to be there. And not only did we we roll through like that second half of the season, but got through the playoffs. Of course, it didn't go the way we wanted to in the World Series. But, I mean, it was amazing to see the city rock for City Field and get a chance to be a part of that. I have to ask this because I'm going to have my Yankee fans listening to Talking 21. I'm going to have my Met fans. So I'm going to mention one player in that core four. Immediately, what comes to mind when you hear the name Derek Jeter? Just an amazing teammate. And I say that because if you think about how many teammates he's had, players that were there for just a day, for a year, for a couple seasons, and left, it can be easy to just, I know this player's not going to be here for very long. I'll say hello, do what I got to do, and then I'll move on. But from the way he treated me and I saw the way he treated other players who were some of those one-day players, who were some of those short-term players, he always introduced himself, made them feel welcome, made himself approachable. He would always invite players over to his home. Like, if you think about Derek Jeter, that's probably not something that comes to mind. Like, wow, this iconic person is inviting you to his home. And he did it. He would invite you to his house, you know, cook over. Hey, you always come over to the house. You're more than welcome. If you were his teammate, you were his teammate. It didn't matter how long you had been there, how big or small your contract was. And that was something that I truly respected for him. And I got to mention uh, for the New York Met fans, uh, our mutual friend, David Wright. Immediately, what comes to mind when we say the great, the other captain, right. David Wright. You know, it's amazing that he took on so much on his shoulders being with the Mets and being you know, so iconic for that fan base. I mean, people loved him and, and looked forward to getting a chance to see him out there do amazing things throughout the course of his career. And then, of course, he had a, some unfortunate injuries that he had to battle back with, but he did any and everything he could to be on that field, to be in that clubhouse, to be representative of not only his teammates, but of that organization. And if you had to pick somebody to represent from top to bottom, and again, I don't know the entire Mets organization because I wasn't around that whole time. I'm, I'm knowledgeable of them. But for the time I was there and from what I saw as an opponent and as a teammate, I mean, this is the person to represent the blue and orange. With MLB officially recognizing, uh, CJ, the stats of the Negro Leagues, Baseball fans, especially the younger baseball fans, are realizing this extraordinary league and the impact that they had in that particular generation. But there's one thing beyond everything we've heard with Bob Kendrick from Buck O'Neill, someone who I had an opportunity to meet. I'm sure you probably yeah. had an opportunity to meet him as well. But something that you said that I have to applaud and commend you for saying that, that not only were there African-American players, but they were Afro-Latinos. They were Latinos that played in the Negro League. So talk a little bit about that from the standpoint of visiting the museum. But what really, Curtis, what made you even add to that, that there were Latino players that played in the Negro Leagues? Well, I got to first thank Bob Kendrick. That's the executive director of the Negro Leagues Museum in Kansas City. And if you are a baseball fan and you have not been there, then you are truly fulfilling your, your knowledge of the game. And make sure you go and request a tour with Bob Kendricks because he's a true storyteller, teller, a humanitarian, and just a historian. So when you, you you hear the stories from him, it literally takes you back there. You feel like you're in the hotel room, you're on the bus, you're on the field, you're in the locker room with these great players. And he was the one that educated me that all these firsts that happened in the Negro Leagues, the first night game, 
the fact that it wasn't just only black players playing, but remember the major leagues at that time was a whites only league. So if you were non-white, which included blacks, Latinos, Asians, you had to play somewhere else. Well, the Negro Leagues were all about, if you can play, you can play. We want you. They had females. They had female owners. They had Latin players. They had everybody out there. So they are technically the league that MLB has become. So it's just so interesting to see that truly the Negro Leagues was the first in so many ways and influential with not only some of the best players to ever play, but some of the rules, some of the things you still see today. Like, for example, there will be plenty of night baseball games happening tonight. And the first one was in the Negro League. So there's just amazing things that you learn about. And every time I go to that museum, I always would try to bring the team I was playing with almost as a field trip before we would go to the ballpark there. And I think that's something that actually should be implemented in Major League Baseball. If you are in the major leagues, Throughout the course of your career, whenever you go to Kansas City, at least once in your career, you need to go to the Negro Leagues Museum. Now, some people might say, well, what about the Hall of Fame in New York? It's just not nearly as convenient to get there. There's no team within two hours of that place. But in Kansas City, there's a team there. And with Interleague, everyone plays there. So as a major leaguer, part of your resume should be, I play, I train, I've also been to the Negro Leagues Museum museum at least one time and I would try to do that with every team that I went there and and it's really cool Kevin Pillar who's currently playing with the Atlanta Braves called me up and said hey you know I appreciate you taking me there when I was teammates with you at the Blue Jays now I'm with the Braves I want to take my team there and then that's so cool to see that you know players want to continue just that history because when you get there you're just like wow like this is truly amazing that this is a part of the history A lot of it I didn't know, but I definitely know a lot of it now. Now, I like that you said that from the standpoint of getting the credit from a former Major League Baseball player. Curtis, going over to the museum at one point or another throughout your career, was there a player, whether it was a white or black player, Latino, that literally went to you on that team bus heading over there saying, hey, Curtis, what are we going to see? What is it that the Negro League stands for? Did you have a player? You don't have to mention a name if you want. But just someone that said to you, what is this Negro League Museum all about before hearing Bob Kendrick speak? You know what? I think everyone was a little bit like, oh, man, you know, you got to go. Because I would kind of insert my my veteran will. Like, you got to go. Like, this isn't a this is an optional mandatory. So I would I would make it as convenient as possible. I'd set up the team bus. We're going to get something to eat afterwards. You're going to get to the stadium in plenty of time. So there was no excuses. So I would get everybody on there. That included trainers. That included front office staff. That included players. Whoever was in town for that time, unless you were the starting pitcher that night, then, you know, you get a little bit of rest. They always get a little bit of leeway. But uh, everybody else would, would hop on board and get a chance to come. And you could see, like, a museum. What is this? What are we going to hear? And then flip it. When we'd be on that bus ride home, players talking about it, the staff talking about it, messaging it. And if you missed it, then the next thing was, well, are you going back tomorrow? Are you going back tomorrow? I was like, hey, that, this was the time you were invited. It wasn't like you were invited. Everybody knew, and I told you it was going to be important. And that that part was it was truly amazing, just what the way they felt going versus the way they felt leaving. Like, that's what it's all about. Yeah. You know, Curtis, I want to transition now from your career to now post-career, what Curtis Grandison, or at least one of the things that CJ's involved in, it's the Players Alliance. 
How did that come to be, your own involvement? How did you basically pitch this to former ball players, current ball players, the formation of this alliance, this organization? And was MLB totally on board to the mission of the Players Alliance? So this is a, a, a literally a team effort across the board. In 2020, unfortunately, the events behind George Floyd that the whole world got a chance to see. And rewind back, remember, you know, baseball wasn't being played at that time. We were in the height of COVID. Everybody's sitting at home, not really getting a chance to do a lot. And then this event happens. And social media at that point was at a place where if we want to make a stand, we go ahead and, and we do something virally together. Like we post a black screen or we post an orange screen or we, we change our pages to the same thing. So we were doing that. I was like, this isn't enough. And our three founders, D. Gordon, Cameron Mabin and Edwin Jackson came together and said, you know, what, we got to do more than just this little social media post. And what's cool is Edwin Jackson, you know, who holds the record for the most teams played for, which obviously includes some of the most teammates had as a player, just started going through his Rolodex and reaching out to, to so many different black ball players, both current and former, saying, how do we come together and do a little more in this space for this game and for, you know, the society as a whole? Communication started going, text started going. The first thing that rolled out was the video campaign. It was a little bit more, you know, the, what we stood for. Then the creation of the actual name, the organization, the Players Alliance was formed. Major League Baseball and the Major League Baseball Players Association jumped on board and getting behind us. That then fast forwarded to an announcement from Major League Baseball, a 10-year deal, which is going to in total be $100 million, up to $150 million, with $50 million being matching contributions based on different things that we bring in. And now fast forward, it's 2023. You know, we've got a chance to get out and be in different communities across the U.S., international to the Bahamas, into Canada, and many other places. It started and was founded by black players, but as we all know, and keeping with the theme of this conversation, it's not just black players. When we were in Boston, Pedro Martinez and David Ortiz came out to show their love and support. We were in Texas and we were handing out food supplies and COVID relief and also baseball equipment. Clayton Kershaw was there. Adam Adevito's been there. Kyle Schwarber's been there. A lot of players in between that are just, again, pushing this initiative of how do we make the game better for black and brown, Latino players, male and female in this space both on and off the field in the communities where we live and the communities where we call home. So that's been the initiative that's been the focus and my involvement got put in there. I, I retired, I guess, at the right time. I had retired in January of 2020. CeCe Sabathia had just retired at the time. So I became the chair, he became the vice president and then Edwin Jackson, a founding board member, we became the three board members and started to bridge that gap between veteran players, active players, and new and up-and-coming players. And here we are today, rolling and going with the Players Alliance. You know, um, education, the grandkids, CJ, go hand in hand. You wrote a book, and I got <laughs> it right here, brother. Ah, nice. <laughs> and uh, got a chance to go through the chapters, the innings, all you can be. Yes. New York City students uh, illustrated the book. And um, I thought it was interesting that you uh, put the chapters as innings. And the one that struck out, stuck out for Danny Torres was Think Positive. Now, the reason that one stuck out for me, because that's a tough one to do. That's a tough one to mentally 
put yourself in the framework that you're a Major League Baseball player. We know the success rate from the standpoint, three out of 10. So how do you think positive when you're batting 200, when you're batting 100? How do you think positive when you failed in an exam? How do you think positive when you did something where you let your parents down? You let your significant other down? You let maybe your own kids down? How are you able to think positive? For So for me, that's the chapter, that's the inning that stuck out for Danny Torres. So for CJ, for Curtis Grandison, which chapter for you, and maybe even for adults, is something that we really should work on day in and day out? Well, I definitely think that think positive is huge because being optimistic and being positive is something you have to work on. But at the same time, when you really take a step back and look, there's always a positive in everything that, that happens. You talk about the baseball side. I may be struggling right now. I may not have had a hit for the last 10 games. But maybe collectively our team is winning. Maybe my defense is doing well. Maybe I'm getting on base. Maybe I've helped someone else get themselves out of a slump. So we have to try to look at those sides of things. And one of the things when I talk to a lot of young players, the first thing I ask them when they ask me, how do you deal with a slump? I respond back, is this the first slump you've ever been in? They say, no. I said, did you get out of the last slump? They say, yes. I go, well, use that and realize that you did it before. You're going to do it again. Now, there's obviously other challenges outside of the game that we face. You know, like you said, you didn't do well on a test. You, you failed the family or you think you failed the family. A lot of the times is, is addressing everything. Everything isn't always going to be great, but there's always room for improvement. If we think we're at the bottom, well, there's only way to go is up. So trying to continue to push that, motivate that, and, and being positive is contagious. You know, if you got a chance to talk to any of the teammates I had over the course of my career, one of the things I prided myself on was when I walked in that clubhouse, no matter what had happened the day before, the night before, the inning before, I was going to be excited and be ready to go. Whether we lost games, whether we won games, whether I had a bad day, whether I had a good day, I was still going to be positive and I was going to be the same way. Case in point, you talked about the 2015 Mets team. We're down three games to one in City Field. Kevin Long, our hitting coach, was one of the most positive individuals I've ever had a chance to be coached by. Uh, he, he's great. And he calls the hitters into the batting cage. And instead of us having our hitters meeting, we all sit down and we start talking. And he kind of points to me and says, Grandy, what do you got to say? I said, isn't this fun? We're in the World Series right now. Like, we have a chance to do something that hasn't been done before. We're down three games to one. That's my mindset. Like, there are people that are wishing they can be in this moment. Yeah, we'd love to be on the other side, but we're in this side. So let's take advantage of this side as best we can. We fought our hearts out. We did everything we could. Of course, we came up short. But we got a chance to be in the World Series. So, again, I'm always going to find something positive in the moment. and try. I, I, find, I find that amazing that that's the first thing when Kevin Long asked you. You said, isn't this fun? Isn't this fun, you know? Like, isn't this fun? Like, everyone's like, oh, this is it. This is over. And I can kind of see it on the faces. Like, isn't this fun? And we get a chance to go out there and play in the World Series. We're the last two teams standing. So that's always been my motto. Underneath my hat, I used to write the words, don't think, have fun. Like, don't overthink it. We're, we're getting a chance to play this game, enjoy this side of things. So try your best to enjoy it. So I think positive category is something that, that's it's really exciting that I got a chance to put out there. And, and I'm excited that you got the book and people got a chance to read it. We did two editions of it, one in Detroit yes. and one in Detroit, New York. Detroit, one in really New York. Cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But uh, I just wish, honestly, Curtis Granison, that you were a Met. 
and that this would be sitting in Danny Torres' collection. But that's, maybe maybe there'll be a third there edition. There we go. Yeah, I think um, Triumph Books did our book, so let's reach out. There, there you go. Get there you go. Another issue. You know, um, Curtis, I'm an educator as well. I'm a high school teacher. Um, been a freelancer now. Uh, love it. I've done work with the Baseball Hall of Fame, with the Mets. I've done a number. But it's been great because I've met guys like you, David, and so many others. But Something that's near and dear to my heart are kids. Uh, I've been doing this uh, teaching, as they call it, as an educator for 32 years. But in your book, you do, there were two topics that you brought up. I'll be honest with you. I was surprised. But it was a reality that you needed to touch on. It was drugs and gangs. But in 2023, Curtis Granison, it's now gun violence. And I have to applaud President Obama, who you had an opportunity to meet my brother's keeper. And that's something that's a part of that alliance is how can we get people to understand that it is truly not just something that we just can't address as a country, but is an important that we have to address, especially in major cities like Chicago and New York City. So Curtis, you mentioned earlier from the standpoint of the alliance coming together during 2020, along with our president, along with Vice President uh, Kamala Harris and President Biden for their reelection, that's something that's going to be talked about in the reelection campaign is gun violence. Is this something that maybe even the Players Alliance could maybe say, can we kind of go out of the framework of what the alliance was originally about and maybe touch on this because it truly is affecting the younger generation, especially the community of color? It's interesting because even if we, we talk about, like, how do we go outside of it, we don't have to go too far outside of it. There's a young player that I know that was being mentored by a young individual who unfortunately had his life taken away, baseball player, by gun violence. So it affects you in, in more different ways than, than you imagine. Whether we're talking about baseball and trying to make effect and change in our game, there are still things that kind of overlap. Again, when we first started the Players Alliance in 2020, there were so many things that were happening in the communities where baseball cities were. So when we did our pull-up neighbor tour, which is our 33-city cross-country tour that started which in New York. Which is pretty cool, I might add. I really love that. I really love that. Thank idea. you. Yeah, we started it in New York. There were things that were still affecting that baseball fan base. COVID, of course. And then now food insecurity. You had a lot of people who couldn't work. You had a lot of places that they couldn't get access to. So... Yeah, we weren't necessarily talking baseball. We weren't necessarily doing a baseball camp or clinic. But baseball players are in these communities and we're trying our best to help out. This happens to be something else that, again, unfortunately, does touch us in a number of different ways. So it is topic of conversation that does happen. How and when you know we get a chance to communicate and get involved in it, it kind of floats a little bit. As you mentioned in the book that I wrote back in 2008, I think is when we wrote that book. The topics were gangs and drugs, obviously still issues. But as you fast forward and you start talking to a lot of different people across the country, you come across other issues. So, for example, the Players Alliance got a chance to connect with a group called LEAD, which is in the Atlanta area, last Jackie Robinson Day. This is a group that's run by C.J. Stewart, who helped produce Jason Hayward, Dexter Fowler, and many other great young black individuals in this, in this game and just in life in general. And I remember just talking to him and saying, you know, I'll just take an Uber out of here. <laughs> You're not going to take an Uber out of here because you go that way. You know, it gets real ugly real fast, whether it's gun violence, drug violence, all that stuff. 
But these are the communities that they're working in, that they're living in, that they're helping in. And yeah, they're using baseball as the vehicle, but that's what happens. You know, when you, everything kind of overlaps a lot more frequently than people think. So whether we're not talking about it directly, it's still going to have some indirect impact on the different communities because these communities that we're talking about have to deal with that stuff on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's sad and, you know, I'm saddened by it because here in New York city, I see it, whether, uh, have an opportunity to go into the subways, um, even topics that my own students talk about. Sometimes I'm listening and it's one of those things you got, Hey, Hey, and I go, my bad, Mr. T. And, uh, you might pull one of those kids to the side, one of the quote unquote, nice kids. And you say, Hey man, what were you guys talking about? Oh man, so-and-so's brother got shot. Oh, Mr. T, we heard that so-and-so, this, you know, he brought a gun, you know, or something along those lines. And you're saying to yourself, how even as an educator, you address that, do you include to speak uh, to someone at home? So even on my end, it's a tough balance to say, you know, do I let administration alone? Do I talk directly to the parent or try to bring the kid to the side and, uh, say this is something of what I believe and I'm hoping that you're not getting involved in that. So definitely, Curtis, I appreciate you bringing up that organization in the Atlanta area. Um, this is Talking 21. We have to talk about the great one, Roberto Clemente, who tragically died on New Year's Eve in 1972. And last year was the 50th anniversary. When you won that Roberto Clemente Award, who was the one that contacted you? Oh, wow. I was actually out of the country when I found out. Um... And I cut my trip short as soon as I found out. You know, I was in, I think I was in, where was I? I was either in Morocco or about to go to Morocco. And I was supposed to continue on and head somewhere else. And I was like, nope, got to get back. You know, this is important. We'll, we'll come back and see this a little bit later. And I don't remember exactly uh, how I got the message. But I just remember cutting my trip short. And then I came home and got a chance to get presented with the award in Chicago because the Cubs were in the World Series. That's when they announced that award, and that's when they give it out. Perfect, perfect ah, timing. Right? <laughs> you know, I'm there, and some of those friends and family that had came to see my first ever Major League hit were, are also Cubs fans, so they're there, and they're texting me. Are you, are you really here? Is this you? I think I saw you on the screen. And I was like, yeah, I'm here. So I got a chance to, to, to get the award at home uh, it, there. And then what's funny about it, that award, I have it. I come home. It's not in my home right now. It's at my parents' house. Like my parents, I, I heard that. I heard that. I heard that. And yeah. they're not giving it back. They're like, nope, this one's ours. You can have any of the other ones you want. This one is ours. So if I want to see my, I gotta go to my parents' house to see it. <laughs> Are they close by? They live in the They're about thirty minutes south there? of me. So yeah, that, okay. without the Chicago traffic, there's no traffic, and I always try to avoid it. I can get there in thirty minutes. So there's someone that we both had an opportunity to meet, but I've knew her a lot longer than uh, CJ, Curtis Granison, and that's Mrs. Clemente. I had met her, may she rest in peace, in 2002. Just to share you a quick uh, story, I was invited to Puerto Rico by a friend. There was an exhibition on Roberto Clemente, and he says to me, my dear friend Paul Cutch, he says, and he calls me Dano. He goes, hey, Dano, you want to meet Mrs. Clemente? And I was like, duh, of course. So he goes, yeah, we're going to go to this event. It's going to be an exhibition. She's going to be there. So I had an opportunity to meet her. Uh, went to visit Sports City. I sat in her office, was there. That might have been the first time in all the players that I've met, everyone that has a quote-unquote name, celebrity, singer, musician, Mrs. Clemente was the wow. I'm in the presence of Roberto Clemente's wife. We were talking for about a good hour and a half, and she says to me, Danny, are you hungry? As anybody knows, Danny Torres knows he loves to eat. 
And she goes, you want to come to my house? So here it is. The first time I met her, went to the same home that she lived in with her late husband. She cooked dinner for me. And I'll never forget it. I'll never forget it. And I remember it was a steak, rice and beans. I don't know if you ever heard of this, uh, Curtis. They're called pasteles. And they were in a freezer because it was December of 2002, something that Puerto Ricans especially eat during the holidays. They were in the freezer. She takes an hour to boil, to eat, and it's just so enjoyable. But I will never forget the basically almost 18 years that I, 19 years that I knew her. So Curtis, when you met Mrs. Clemente for the first time, what was your reaction? Did she say anything to you in particular? She just gave me a big, big mama hug and came up to me and said, congratulations. You know, I've heard so much about you and it's an honor that you get a chance to represent and continue the legacy. But that hug, you know, it's like that home cooking. Just make you feel comfortable that that's that that could be your mom and she's going to make you feel welcome and if you need very motherly very uh, motherly with everyone she met you know and if you think about it i mean it's difficult to just run up to people you haven't heard and start to hug or invite them over to your house but no not for miss clemente and that was awesome to to do that and be in the presence of her you know i have a photo of her and the family that's with the trophy at home and you know it's just truly um just amazing to to be connected in that family that lineage for even this Small little thing. Yeah, it's so cool. And when we got a chance to get together for the 50th reunion this past year in New York, in City Field, you know, got a chance to come on the field for that and be there. Just cool to see past recipients, you know, all stars, Hall of Famers, World Series champs. And it had nothing to do with the on field performance. I mean, yeah, we were great ball players. There's a lot of great ball players. But the fact that these individuals were identified for what they did off the field, their humanitarian spirit, because, again, Roberto Clemente was that. And he was more than just a ball player doing so many things just to help the community, realizing he's a part of the community. And there are people that can utilize and need his help. And he was trying his best to do it as much and as often and as frequent as he could. You described him so well from the standpoint of what Clemente stood for. And let's not even talk about the ball player, but let's talk about the man, the humanitarian. So, Curtis, I got to ask you this question. We usually ask this question all the time. And that is the retirement of Roberto Clemente Walker's number throughout Major League Baseball. I'd love to hear your thoughts. You actually brought some. I think it was you brought it or, or Clemente's uh, son told me this. I forgot who it was. But when they said this, this is like the icing on the cake. Of course, he's a great player. You know, we, his stats are up there. We know him. If you don't know him, just look him up. You'll see him. Obviously, we know what he means off the field. But then you start thinking about it. Like, we have a Roberto Clemente High School here in Chicago. And That's true. I do. Opening, I, I've been there. I've yeah. Been there, yeah. You know? and, and then someone said that there's a Roberto Clemente High School in 70 countries. And I go, that that that, that is mind-boggling. Because there's a number of people you can name a school after. And these countries around the world are deciding to name their school after Roberto Clemente, possibly someone who's never been to their country, who's never stepped foot in their country, but they knew about him. And they said, you know what, we're going to name a school after Roberto Clemente. So for me, that is the truly icing on the cake for why his number should be retired throughout all of baseball. Think about all the great players that have ever played. There's not a Babe Ruth school in all these different places. There's not a Mickey Mantle school in all these different places. Great players, don't get me wrong. But Roberto Clemente schools, and they felt that that represents the kids that are going to come through this building, through these doors, enter one way, leave another way, and have that Roberto Clemente tag 
addressed to their name once they leave out of the school. For me, that 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 pushes everything over the over the top for me. Nice way to put it, man. Because not only uh, schools but parks, um, you know, there's markers of Clemente, there's streets, things of that nature. So yes, Clemente is truly a global uh, humanitarian. Finally, Curtis Grandison, you're gonna love this question, and I bet you've never been asked this. You ready for this, man? You ready for this? So, you're an outfielder. You have an opportunity to pick an outfielder to your left and an outfielder to your right. But now look at this one. An outfielder to your left could have been either a player you never played with or a player you did play with, and the outfielder to your right was a professional wrestler. So who do you want as a wrestler in the outfield with you that you believe can catch a baseball and has got speed, and there's that player that maybe you never, ever had an opportunity to play with? Who would be that outfielder? So a wrestler and a player. So starting with the wrestlers, you, you threw me when you said, do I believe they'd be able to catch a baseball? That, that, that might eliminate a lot of them because... <laughs> Take a body slam, right? Take a body slam. Oh, they can do all that. But, you know, and this isn't just wrestlers, but watch celebrities throw out first pitches that are non-baseball players. That gives you a true understanding. Like when you say, okay, they got to catch a ball. Some of them can barely throw the baseball. And it doesn't have to be hard, but just throw it in a straight line. So if they can't throw it, there's a good chance they probably can't Uh, catch it. Has anybody ever seen the 50 Cent uh, first pitch? We were there for the 50 Cent one. And you just watch it, you know, and you just go, wow, like you didn't throw a rock when you were a kid. You didn't throw a sock at your sibling. You didn't throw anything that gives you the ability to step and throw and be somewhere in the area, you know. So that that eliminates a few of the people I would have selected. But I got to go with Booker T um, out there because I think, you know, if he could do the spinner Rooney and catch it at the same time, I think just top 10 play automatically for that side of things. So he'll be to my left. If I got to go to my right, wow, I would say, you know, I was fortunate. I got a chance to play with Ichiro. That was awesome. You know, he was one that I, I just no, I didn't, didn't get a chance to do. I played against Griffey, so that was cool. Um, wow. So, Curtis, you're telling me I'm stumping you right now? Of all the interviews you've done, I'm stumping you? You're only giving me one person, you know? I, I one person, yep, one I person. Know. That's what's making it challenging. So, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start to narrow it down. I'm going just strictly defense because I'm going to see this person to my right. Forget what they do offensively. You know, I'm going to – I, I got to see – that the, these the, the arm like that's the thing I always would love because I would always hype up my my corner outfielders throw throw throw, and you watch somebody throw a baseball from the warning track to third to home, and it's in the air the whole way there. That's the that's what I want to see. Like please run on him, please run on him, and I'm gonna hype him to throw it. He's tagging even though he may not be tagging because I just want to see it. And I just want to be in awe by watching number 21 out there spin and throw, go back, catch and throw from the track and throw like that part would be good. It would be almost like the bad news bears where I would be in the outfield and I could possibly catch the ball. But I'd be like, no, Roberto, you got it. You, you come get it. You take it and you throw it. I just want to watch you throw. So we could say now on the Talking 21 podcast with CJ Curtis Granison, it is Booker T 
and the great Roberto Clemente. I love it, I love it, I love it. Curtis, uh, I wanna end with these words and I wanna see if you know who actually said these words. You know, there's always quotes that we live by. I love this quote from this person. I'm gonna read it right, it's right in front of me. We didn't just get here by accident. There's a community and a family that helped raise us, but build us and be with us along the way. So I wanna read that again clearly. We didn't just get here by accident. There's a community and a family that helped raise us, build us and be with us along the way. Do you know who said that, Curtis? I don't, they got me stumped again. That's two for two right there. Okay, you ready, Curtis? Yes. He said it September 15th, 2022. That was you, Curtis Granison. No, really? <laughs> Yeah, but that for me, that for me, Curtis, that sums up everything about who you are. And that's the reason why Curtis Grandison, not only that you're on the Talking 21 podcast with Danny Torres, but why fans, why your colleagues on the field, why your good friends, the friends that were mentioned in that book, why your sister Monica, the college professor, mom and dad, everything that made who Curtis Grandison Jr. is today. Is why I applaud you. You are that role model to students, the students that I teach that have an opportunity to see somebody like Curtis Granison. And that's why, Curtis, when I go to a ballpark, that's what I'm looking for a player. And those are those traits, those are those things, those little things that I want the outside people from the standpoint of the fans and those that maybe not, not necessarily be fans that maybe it's the first time they go to the ballpark that they get a chance to know who these players are and might read or might listen to a podcast. And that's the reason why that particular quote that you said at City Field, the home of the New York Mets, the team that you played on for four years. And Curtis, I can't thank you enough for being on the Talking 21 podcast. Uh, I appreciate that. And, and bringing that to you, you know, we say so many different things, but as soon as you started saying it, like the first thing that, that pops in my mind is like, you know what, I say that to, to people, but I didn't realize it was my quote like that. And I always tell people, like, things just don't happen. Like, you and I aren't both just here. Like, you're not doing this podcast. Like, this just didn't happen. You know, there's a lot of things that, that went into it, your production crew, your background, your history, getting a chance to meet the Clementes. Same with me. Like, I'm not just a major league ball player overnight. I didn't wake up and say, okay, that's what I want to do, and I became it. But a lot of things that happened from the time of me starting playing at six years old till now, you know, my parents giving me a ride, my friends being there to support me, to get me out of trouble, get me in a little bit of trouble, learn from all those different things. And no matter who you are, like, there is some sort of support staff, both positive or negative, that is making and helping mold you to who you are today. So that's one of the things I always push. You know, hopefully it's more positive and good. Hopefully you, you take that side of it and continue to go with it and be thankful for the people that have helped you. And once you are where you are, you know, don't forget there are other people trying to get where they are. And now you can help them. So thank you. True. This is an honor and privilege to be on here. Um, if you haven't done it, like I said, I'm plugging it to everybody. We talked about the Negro League. The Negro Leagues Museum, but the Roberto Clemente Museum in Pittsburgh. Definitely go there. Curtis, once again, you mentioned about the words, the two words, thank you. And I thank you, Curtis Grandison, for being on the Talking 21 podcast. Thank you. Curtis Grandison, CJ, the Grandy Man, thank you so very much for being on the Talking 21 podcast. Early in this podcast, I talked about the three C's I talked about character, charity, and Clemente. And you were so deserving of winning the Roberto Clemente Award in 2016. 
We also on our podcast talked about your book and your book, All You Can Be, are innings, are chapters such as play with passion, have fun, think positive, and most importantly, be a leader. And that's something that not only for us adults, but children should always consider that is to be a leader, not only in the classroom, not only at our workplace, but also most importantly in our community, something that we can do to impact in the spirit of Curtis Granison and in the spirit of the great Roberto Clemente. I wanna thank you from the bottom of my heart and on behalf of my producer extraordinaire, along with our team, Cam and Sierra, and I have to make sure to thank my primo, Edwin Tito, who provided this t-shirt direct from Puerto Rico to give him a special shout out. So before we wrap up, I want to make sure everyone realizes that if we want this podcast to spread, let's make sure to subscribe to the Talking 21 podcast channel. Follow us on every imaginable social media that you could find us on. Make sure to like, make sure to comment because we read the comments. Make sure you provide any feedback. And once again, thank you so very much. This is Danny Torres, host of the Talking 21 podcast. Thank you till next time.